Hi, my name is Scott Kerland, and my best friend Lils Martin hates musicals. I'm Lils Martin, and my friend and acquaintance Scott Kerland loves musicals. Wait, what? But I don't like I don't like begrudging for it or anything. Wait, I don't know. I said you were my best friend, and you just called me a friend and acquaintance. Yeah. I was working really, really hard on creating this podcast for you where I show you great movie musicals and bad movie musicals because I love you, but you want to be a dick. We were supposed to record this promo for Hell is a Musical, and what are we doing right now? Sounds like we're recording the promo right now. Hell is a Musical on the Zero Science Network. Be there. WBB Studios presents Writer's Bagel Basket talking about The Thin Man. Writer's Bagel Basket talking about The Thin Man starring Christopher Brown as Nick Charles and Scott Kurland as his lovely wife, Nora. Yeah, that's right. We watched The Thin Man from 1934. You probably just turned off this podcast as soon as you heard that, but it's in the basket. The Writer's Bagel Basket. You finished with this? Yes, and I know as much about the murder as they do. Oh, I'm a hero. I was shot twice in the Tribune. Well, I read where you were shot five times in the tabloids. It's not true. He didn't come anywhere near my tabloids. Tear me apart, Lisa! Oh, dang. I'm so excited! I'm so scared! Oh, no. Hey, would you mind putting that gun away? My wife doesn't care, but I'm a very timid fellow. You idiot. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kurland, and we continue my self-indulgent birthday month with one of my favorite films of all time, with one of my favorite people of all time. We're talking about The Thin Man with Mr. Christopher Brown. Oh, hello. How you doing, sugar? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm doing really well. Uh, one thing I want to get off my chest about this movie right away, because it doesn't have to do with the movie itself. It has to do with the uh, the MGM card at the beginning with the lion. The one where, where the lion. lion killed three people. It does not sound well. Oh, well, I, I did not know that about the lion. That lion killed three people. It did not sound people. well. Who would have known okay. that that when you put a lion in a room with cameras and hot lights and you know food, I mean people, it will kill yeah, yeah, those yeah. people. We tried feeding it pineapples. That's what we thought they ate. But no, uh, the the thing that got me about the lion was that it sounded really <laughs> sick. Like it was making more of a gurgling noise than a roar at the beginning of. Well, this. that's what happens when he eats one arm Joe. When they started filming it, he was two-armed Joe. And when they finished it, he was just Joe. (laughs) So why don't you give us the blockbuster rule for The Thin Man? Well, the daughter of a wealthy inventor, upon discovering that her father has gone missing, attempts to enlist the help of a retired but crack investigator. And his drunk socialite wife. Well, she wasn't part of the bargain. She kind of made herself part of the bargain. And it really, really fueled the film for the better. So there were, I believe, five or six Thin Man movies. Um, There was The Thin Man. Six. Six. There was The Thin Man, 
after the Thin Man, another Thin Man. Thin Man comes home. Return of the Thin Man. Thin Man, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and Dracula. <laughs> I just made... <laughs> I mean, what's what's great about this movie is that its title is very poor. Like, it's it's not a good title for this movie in any way, shape, or form. But I love that the sequels really just double down on it every single time. They're like, oh no, no, we're gonna be after the Thin Man. That's a sequel. All right, this time, guess what? Now our hero is the Thin Man. <laughs> yeah, that's the last one. <laughs> yeah, Thin Man come home. Um, but. The Thin Man, I guess, was a term back then for a description of a serial killer or a killer. He's a thin man. That's interesting. Yeah, that's what it refers to. What? Why would he have referred to uh, the uh, the 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 inventor as such? Because he's a tall, thin man. Yeah, but I mean, if that's a euphemism, why wouldn't he said, he, "Oh, he's a skinny fella"? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not Dashiell Hammett. This so this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's literally number two right after the sting. So Okay. Get ready for next June when Chris does my third favorite movie of all time, Jackie Brown. <laughs> oh, Jackie Brown's great. I I like that That's a lot. That's one of my favorite films. It's number three. Um and then uh yeah. But The Thin Man is my favorite book, my favorite movie, and uh, honestly, kind of my favorite podcast because if you don't know the Thrilling Adventure Hour, anyone, are you know the Thrilling Adventure Hour, right? By name only. Okay. So there's a segment called Beyond Belief uh, with Paul F. Tom- Fact or fiction with Jonathan Frakes? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's called Beyond Belief, <laughs> and it stars Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster as Frank and Sadie Doyle, the elite socialites who <laughs> solve crimes and see ghosts. That's very good. And they basically play Nick and Nora Charles. And William Powell is probably my second favorite actor of all time. Like after, so my top five favorite actors. Okay, so I'm going to cheat here. William Powell is tied for number one with Paul Newman. Then Eddie mm-hmm. Murphy's number two. Then Kevin. Then Jim Varney. Then Jim, of course. Hey, Vern. Vernie, Vern, Vern. <laughs> Jim Varney. Sometimes it's Blake Clark. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't at me. Uh, actually, actually, Jim Varney was apparently a very experienced uh, Shakespearean actor on stage. Yeah, they're and making a they're making just... a documentary about his life. Oh God, I am here for it. It's called the importance of being earnest. I, it's perfect. So, uh, where was I? So Powell and Newman are tied for number one. Eddie Murphy, Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. Kevin Kline, and Keanu Reeves. I love Keanu Reeves. Um, but it's weird that that Kevin Klein is one of my favorite actors of all time, and so is William Powell, because in the 80s, end of the 80s, early 90s, they were going to remake The Thin Man with um, Kevin Klein and Phoebe Cates as Nick and Nora, all because of... you. Ha- I'm sending you the image, but this is them at the Oscars when he won the Oscar for Fish Called Wanda, John Patrick Shanley saw them, and and the man who 
Oh wow! Yeah, the yeah. man who who won the Oscar for writing Moonstruck just started writing a remake of The Thin Man with these two in mind. They would. Oh man, that would have been that would that would have really been fun. amazing. Like, I I love Kevin Klein. I love Phoebe Cates. They're married in real life. Uh, Myrna Loy and William Powell in real life were. They had a. They never said that they were together, but they had like an on again, off again romance. They were just really good friends, and their charisma and their chemistry in this movie—they're second to none. So good. They're just like so good. The way they talk to each other, it, they felt like a real couple. Yeah, they did, and they—they they felt like a like a real couple that I want to hang out with. Yes, they are. Like they're just. They just sit around all day, getting hammered, making like really witty jokes about each other. And it's like, you guys are the coolest people that I've ever seen. Uh, Will you adopt me as an adult? And they don't get jealous of one another because at one point she walks in to a room where he is hugging uh, Maureen O'Sullivan, who is Jane from the Tarzan Mm -hmm. movies. Oh, interesting. I didn't uh, make yeah, that connection. He's flat out hugging her, consoling her because she's crying. And she's not like, what the fuck's going on? She just He just makes a face like, hmm? And she just... <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the, the great thing about, the, about them. There is no hint of jealousy to the point where he can get caught in a situation like that and laugh it off immediately because he knows like, oh, obviously I'm not going to do anything wrong. And obviously she knows that. That happens in the so sequel. I'm going to make... That happens in the sequel. What? So, so oh, what that, happens that, sure. is the lights go out. So the sequel takes place on New Year's Eve. Um, okay. The same year? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is like a real John Wick sort of so franchise literally, where uh, there's, there's not a lot of time The passing. second movie opens up with them on the train arriving. To- After a Christmas, the events of this, which took place around yeah, Christmas. So they, they, they end up in... California basically on the 30th of December and then on the 31st mm-hmm. they go to a party and the lights go out and he thinks he's kissing Nora and the lights come back on and it's some some dame <laughs> and <laughs> or as they would say back then some skirt <laughs> some chica <laughs> some lady he was locking lips with some barn burner <laughs> he was tripping the light fantastic there he was so so then like he the look on his face is like sorry and he just stands up and walks away but there are there are so many quotes in this movie that were just just so good um with uh, like i i really liked how they talked about each other as well pretty girl yeah she's a very nice type you got types only you, darling. Lanky brunettes with wicked jaws. <laughs> well, there was one bit where a reporter was uh, was trying to talk to Nick. And, um, like, he ended up talking to Nora instead. So he's like, oh, say, listen, is he working on a case? And Nora says, yes, he is. Oh, what case? And Nora's a like, case of, a touch of scotch. A, Pitch in and help him. A case of gin. <laughs> a case of gin, sorry. Of, Pitch in and help yeah. him. I, I also uh, love when... So, there is one scene that doesn't age well. In this movie, this movie's fantastic, but the one scene that doesn't age well is when a guy who's trying to convince Nick that he didn't murder someone by pointing a gun at Nick and saying, I didn't murder anyone. Um, 
Yeah, it had uh, it had strong Harrison for uh, Harrison Ford vibes. Yeah, and to get Nora out of danger, he punches Nora out and then grabs the gun from the other guy, and gets shot in the process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it wasn't great, but uh, fortunately, you know, nothing happened. Right. Uh, as as he said later on, uh, in in regards to their marriage, I haven't the time. I'm much too busy seeing that you don't lose any of the money I married you for. <laughs> But but after that scene, when they're talking about the news reports of him being shot, uh, she goes, I heard that you got shot five times in the tabloids. That's not true. They got nowhere near my tabloids. <laughs> that was such a good line. Like, yeah, I wrote that one down, too. For 1934, like, the things... It, it, it was it was pre-code, though, so you could you could push the envelope and no one was going to stop Right, you. but they talk about divorce. They They... I mean... Well, like, I, I don't think that, like, divorce, like, in particular, like, I don't think that that's something that would have been ever taboo if there Un- wasn't some ridiculous code put in place. No, no, so. Un- under, before the code, uh, Mayor, Louis B. Mayer hated talking about divorce. He did not want it. Interesting. I'm pretty sure that this got in there because of David O. Selznick. Interesting. Yeah, I, actually, I did notice that they had twin beds in this as yeah. well. Although there was there was talk of them sharing a bed at one point towards yeah, the end. it's uh, let Aster sleep in the above. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but one thing that yeah basically ended with the same dick joke as uh, as uh, the uh, what's the sh- I can't think of the Hitchcock movie um, North by the West <laughs> how that ends with a literal dick joke. <laughs> I was like strangers on a train. They finally get together and do it. <laughs> strangers on a train, lifeboat, rope. <laughs> Which one was it? Uh, we all know that it was Topaz. Ah, uh, yes. The uh, uh, I'm not even going to finish the joke. Uh, the Bruce Stern classic. <laughs> so with aren't they all with with Nick and Nora? One thing that they do that that Haley does um, when when she goes, Nick, are you sleeping? Yes. Good. I want to talk to you. Like. <laughs> that that feels like every relationship for a married couple. I know Haley does that. Does Danielle do that? Uh, no, because I'm the one who um, has issues sleeping. Danielle can fall asleep on command yeah. and stay asleep through the entire night. Yeah, but like I so ju- yeah that's. But honestly, because of this movie, I'm like that's that's relationship goals. <laughs> They are relationship yeah. goals, these two, because they love each other. They they basically always have some sort of affection for each other, but they also tease each other mercilessly. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think that's part of what I love so much about it. Is that they're they play off of each other very well, but it's also in pursuit of making fun of one another. I forgot what scene it was, but there's literally a scene where where she mimes whacking him and he just stands up and pretends to backhand her and like then she goes to punch him. <laughs> like it it's basically <laughs> the perfect relationship these two and i love how they joke that oh i married you for your money but you know that you can tell that they really love each other yeah absolutely and not in addition to their affection for one another i like how neither of them take themselves too seriously 
Um, for, take for example when uh, Nick had the gun pulled on him by the guy who was uh, acu- say, in, insisting that he didn't kill the woman and he, his response was hey would you mind putting that gun away my wife doesn't care but I'm a very timid fellow <laughs> I also love in that scene when he he's like I want to ask you something and he goes shoot I mean talk <laughs> yeah, uh, what's on your mind <laughs> why did I just say shoot to a guy holding a gun but that okay so that guy i love how he is like i didn't kill anybody and it's like oh are you sure because you're holding a gun <laughs> you're holding a gun and you're pretty angry i also i oh go on oh no i was gonna say that same guy i love when uh uh wine the inventor the so-called thin man who's literally in two scenes of this movie and, <laughs> and then then he just you know Pound sand. I'm trying. I'm trying not to swear as much in this episode because it's the 1930s. We're talking about. So I'm trying to think of euphemisms that they did to get around swearing in the old movies. He took a hike. <laughs> he 23 so skidoo. Yeah. One thing I enjoyed about this is that it's got to be one of the earliest examples uh, as of a dog as like a fully functional character in the story that interacts with other people more than it should. <laughs> Similar to Brandon and Punky, Lu- uh, Punky Brewster. Well, Chris, maybe the world is blind and just a little unkind. Whoa. Mm. I do love with Aster, they're like, oh, he's well-trained. Sit. Sit. Stand up. <laughs> and then he sits. <laughs> Um, yeah, but the, and then he reacts to like complete sentences they tell him in English, <laughs> like when um when Nora tells him as uh, he and Nick, as Asta and Nick are going out to potentially die, <laughs> she's like, if anything happens to you, you'll never wag that tail again, and he just says like a sad like. Hmm. <laughs> it's funny that she cares more about Nick than she does about the dog who's like their child. Yeah, it's a, a really really strange relationship with uh, the dog. <laughs> It just it just feels like a nineteen like fifties cartoon show. Very much so. And what was the line? Now don't make a move or that dog will tear you to shreds. <laughs> and it's like a little like tiny shit dog. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole crux of the movie is that uh Wynette is this inventor and he's got this top se- secret project which they never talk about and it you think that it's gonna be like the crux of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it it's nothing. This entire movie is about someone stealing uh, bonds from him. <laughs> yeah, and every time they said Wynans, whenever I thought of him, I heard what they said, but what my brain processed it as was Wyland. So in my head, I knew what uh, Clyde Wynant looked like <laughs> from the beginning of the movie, but whenever they were referencing him, I was imagining Scott Wyland. <laughs> <laughs> from Creed? Was that serious, sir? I thought it was. Pre- oh no no Scott Wyland Scott Wyland Stone Temple Pilot oh, Scott Stapp is Scott Stapp uh, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah yeah man. Yeah Scott Wyland like was like the thinny skinny as a rail like drug addict type. Okay yeah so push. <laughs> he, I mean he's a th- he's a thin man. They kept describing him as a yeah. thin man, so it's like it it all fits. Yes yes it does. Um, you need to find my father Scott Wyland. <laughs> oh. Last time I saw him, he was singing an interstate love song all the way out of town. Leaving on a Sunday afternoon, my daughter's marrying some guy. 
some guy. I hope. I hope the stepfather's not invited. Oh, that I totally yeah. forget. Uh, the stepfather is played by Caesar Ramiro. <laughs> yes. Every time he enters it, the it's, room, it's so odd to see him without makeup over his mustache. Yeah. Every time he enters the room, it's like we gotta kill <clears throat> Batman. <laughs> well, what I really enjoyed about that, there was a really weird discussion um, that was had when uh, what was her name? Was it Alice Winant? Mimi or Dorothy? Mimi. Uh, no, Dorothy. When uh, she was talking with, I believe it was in the first scene when she was talking to her father about um, how awkward it would be for both him and her mother to be there. And she's like, oh, it's okay. I just won't invite my stepfather. <laughs> like, how strange are relationships at that point in time where that's the convention? It's like, oh, this person that, you know, has been a pretty big part of my life and uh, obviously a much bigger part of my mother's life for several years. That They're going to sit this one out. It also feels like at the end of the movie, it was Nick who gave her away and and Nora was the surrogate mother and that Mimi didn't even show up to the wedding. Yeah, that's kind of what it seemed like. Because I so the thing that drives me bonkers is that Maureen O'Sullivan's character is so convinced that her father is a murderer that she's willing to just basically become a floozy when she has like the nicest guy in the world. Poor Tommy. <laughs> yeah, Tommy's... Uh... He's a good guy, and uh, I also really appreciate a grown man that goes by Tommy. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tommy. Oh, how old are you? I'm Dismany. Oh my God, you're 35. <laughs> yeah, he blinks two hands three times. <laughs> also, it's so weird seeing Maureen O'Sullivan not getting thrown into the water by Tarzan. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that. That was her. That's uh, that's pretty good though. Yeah, she's like so that. young in this. Cause d- well, yeah, she's the Marion age. She's like fourteen. Yeah. Oh God. Uh. I'm talking about for the time. For the time, Jesus Christ! I'm not an animal. <laughs> Everyone else was in the 30s. The, so, so when I brought this to your attention, I'm like, "Do you want to do this movie?" And you're like, "Sure." Is this one of those? Those movies where the leading man is like 40 years old and the leading lady's 26. <laughs> and well, I mean, that, that was the custom for films back well, then. Well, back then, and even in the 80s, like actors look so old. Like, e- even, I mean, mm-hmm. Myrna Loy looks great and she was like in her 20s, but she, she looks old too. I just found out today that Wilford Brimley. It, when he made Cocoon, is was the same age that Paul Rudd is now. Mm-hmm. That bl- yeah, he he's one of those people like um like Estelle Getty that look like significantly older than they actually are. Same thing with William Powell. Like, I mean, he he always will be Nick Charles to me or Godfrey from My Man Godfrey. But but back when he was thirty five, mm-hmm. he looked like he was fifty. Well, I mean, you're talking about someone who was actually born in the 1800s. So when I, I just think that standards were different then and lives were lived differently. I was so shocked to find out how long he lived for. I'm like, oh, he's probably one of those actors who died young. And uh, I was kind of. Well, yeah, because you figure his character probably wasn't that much of an exaggeration for that time period with how much he was drinking and smoking. Yep. And. So he's probably just one of those people like Ozzy where the the same thing that compels them to drink is what keeps them alive. 
Mr. Powell, please do not stop drinking. If you stop drinking, you'll die. (laughs) I never said I was going to stop drinking. I knew someone who uh, did, like, basically, they did live sound at, I I forget the venue. It was one of the bigger concert venues in Boston that has been renamed so many times. Um, Oh, it's the Garden. Whatever the Garden is. The TD Bank North. Is it is it a garden again, or is it a center? <laughs> the TD Bank North place area. So Tom anyway, Yoon. they were working there. They they were working there, and they were doing like just random crap backstage when um the Rolling Stones were in town. And uh, Keith Richards lit up a cigarette at one point while they were playing, and <laughs> my friend was just like saying to their like boss or whoever was around them, they're like, "Is he technically allowed to smoke?" And the boss was just like, eh, let him do it. If he doesn't, he might die. <laughs> Keith, are you smoking your cigarettes? Yep. Did you, sacri- <laughs> did you sacrifice your virgin? Yep. Ate her soul real good. Um, I did, I did. Well, I'm just imagining that same similar, similar sort of conversation to William Powell, but him being a legit child when asked, Now, nah, William, did you smoke your cigarette? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> good. Now, he- Did you drink your whiskey? Yep. <laughs> Good. Chase it down All with right, this great. martini. <laughs> I love when we see Nick for the first time. He's teaching the bartender how to make drinks because the the bartender isn't making the drink good enough. <laughs> and, he's, and then he pours it, gives it to the server. The server walks around him and then hands it to him. Brilliant. It's very yeah, good. Yeah, and my favorite line is in that scene because... Uh, Nora goes, Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing because I was looking through, like, uh, just the descriptions for some of the sequels. And uh, apparently they have a child at some point in the films. Yeah, she finds out she's pregnant in the next one. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I mean... Man, she, I, I hope she cuts back on the drinking. <laughs> it's 1938. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, so so Lils and I, for Hell is a Musical, we did. Uh, we already recorded our um, Hairspray episode. And there is literally a scene, because the movie takes place in the 60s, where John Travolta, as Edna Turnblad goes, oh, those women look so glamorous, and they're drinking martinis and smoking, and they're pregnant. (laughs) Yep, nothing wrong here. (laughs) I just picture Nora Nora Charles being like, I'm pregnant now. I need to stop smoking. Are you going to stop drinking? Heavens no. (laughs) <laughs> just medical advice in the past is so buck wild because you can look at any t- period in time it, and i'm sure we'll be proven to have that at this point in time too um with something or other but like you can look at any period of time and there's like just some wild medical advice like it was probably in like the early 1900s like you could go to someone with like a legit medica- like medical il- like illness and the doctor would probably be like, all right, yeah, the problem is that you got ghosts in the blood. So what you got to do is you got to smoke six cigarettes a day and make sure you never go to sleep sober. <laughs> well, the solution in this movie when he gets shot is that they, they patch it up with basically like a Band-Aid and then they give him more booze, which is a blood thinner. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not, not what you should be drinking after getting shot. Although, admittedly, he said he just got grazed. 
I do love I do love in that scene. Um, my other one of my other favorite lines is when he's looking at the presents because he's playing with a BB gun that he got and he's popping all these balloons. Oh God, yeah, I love it so much. <laughs> and and him going, so aren't you hot in that? Yes, I'm stifling, but it's so pretty. The Kirby's. Is that uh, another Christmas present? Mm-hmm. Did I give it to you? Yes. I'm spoiling you. <laughs> I I love the fact that that he knows that Nora is gonna buy her gifts from him, and that he thinks too much of himself. He's like, I'm spoiling you. <laughs> I love when he's sitting there with the air rifle. How eventually he does hit a window, and she's just like mildly annoyed at it at most the whole thing. I also love when when he figures something out. He just goes ah. <laughs> Because he does it twice. So my question for you is, do you think he knows from the very beginning that... So spoiler alerts for this, like, 70-year-old movie that, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, okay, sorry. But spoiler alerts, the lawyer did it. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, it was Macaulay, who is Wynette's lawyer, basically was in cahoots with... Maca- uh, Wynette's girlfriend who apparently is sleeping with everybody <laughs> yeah she's his girlfriend slash secretary yes. and yeah she was uh, she was getting around and I I think from the very beginning Nick knew that it was Macaulay I think he at least suspected it I, I think he was kind of piecing together the evidence Scooby Doo style uh, throughout <laughs> so does that make him both Fred and Shaggy <laughs> Or is he more of a Velma nah, he's, Dinky? Yeah, he's uh, he's a bit of a he's Fred and Velma for the most part, but with just a hint of Shaggy thrown in there. That's that's the the drinking and drunken <laughs> aspect. And of course, Nora's just Daphne, and sometimes Don Knotts, and half of <laughs> for the guest star episodes. Yeah, and half of Gilligan's Island when they show up. Yeah, so. I, I love how the actual crime in this is that Julia is murdered. Everyone thinks Wynette did it because he's missing. But spoiler alert, Wynette's been dead the entire movie. And the Yeah, we see him we see him with his daughter at the very beginning during that awkward conversation about wedding seating. And uh actually they had a great relationship too, I gotta say. Both Wynette and uh and Dorothy. <laughs> Dorothy <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think she'll miss him most of all. But yeah, they had an amazing relationship. I I also love how the father is like, oh, is this a new fella? And she goes, no, it's the same fella that it's always been. The same fella for three months. So I guess time is, you know, non-linear in this world. <laughs> I mean, it has to be in order for all of these events that take place in the time they take place in. I- work yeah so so basically the movie starts in october and then goes all the way or september then goes all the way to december yeah um wait but that doesn't that makes no sense because it's snowing but he's gone for three months i'm confused (laughs) 
Yeah, it was snowing in that first scene. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really odd. So, hold on. I got... Look up October 1934. Did it snow? <laughs> the year of no summer. <laughs> yeah, no, it... Um. Yeah, it... I, you're definitely right, and you're definitely right that the wedding was months away, and that he was missing for months. Both of right. those statements are true. So yeah, wait, is, yeah, is I think this it's just a weird oversight? Is this like a Hades and Persephone thing? He didn't let her come up and do spring and fall, so we just got winter. <laughs> I they mean, probably did all of the establishing shots at the same time and yeah. didn't think about it. Yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean. The other big theme about this film that we haven't discussed right now is uh, becoming unstuck in time and uh, how to use that to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, with all of these characters, I, I love the fact that everyone, with the exception of Nick and Nora, is crazy. Or dumb. Tommy's, Tommy's not. No. I would say Tommy's neither crazy nor dumb. No, he is crazy because he's like 30 years old and he has everyone call him Tommy. <laughs> Fair enough. Can I call you Tom? Hell no. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's sort of like um, as, as problematic as it is, and um, I can get into the weeds with this one um, about what I find problematic about it and how I find it problematic and and how I can still enjoy it, but it reminds me of Sleepaway Camp. And that particular film, every single character in it is on the verge of flipping the fuck out at any point in time. Like, they're just always ready to snap. And I love it. And it reminds me of this because, yeah, everyone is like, everyone's either on, like, ready to commit violence to get what they need or they are insane. Yeah. Oh, we haven't even talked about Gilbert yet. <laughs> Gilbert. Gilbert. Gilbert uh yes Gilbert I did not care for Gilbert is the worst uh, thing about this movie yeah he's just like a, a shitty nothing of a rich kid he is he's honestly he's he's a combination of the Trump boys and he's just kind of there useless and uh you know collecting his father's money oh who is it that he reminded me of he reminded me of do you remember on Saved by the Bell Max Nerdrum Yep, he remind. I know. I remember him. Yeah, well. he reminded yep. me of him. Yeah, because he had the slicked hair. So that's and the that's glasses. Really what did it. The glasses too. Yeah, true, true. Also, I love. It. I wonder if I wonder if they based that character oh, off. Oh, I him. hope so. Because you know that the writers on Saved by the Bell were like these like nineteen forties, nineteen fifties screenwriters who got blacklisted and had to. <laughs> they found out that I was a communist in the fifties. No, I no, I write about the kids at the max. <laughs> no one can know I'm Dalton Trumbo. <laughs> I won two Oscars under another pen name, and now I'm Peter Engels. <laughs> I I love with with like Gilbert how every time he talks, everyone's like, "What is he gonna say now?" Like they're terrified to the point where where. Nick goes, Gilbert is here, and he literally has to treat him like a dog. And he's like, follow the hat. Well, well yeah, because of, of your thing earlier about, you know, everyone being either psychotic or stupid, he is the dumbest of the dumb in this movie. He's the kind of person that would, like, walk into a crime scene 
and like touch everything find a piece of food and pick it up and start eating <laughs> okay like he's that level of stupid so can i tell i'm can i go off tangent for a second can i can i just go off topic i mean that's 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 my bread and butter so i would welcome it so back in college uh there was this uh production of neil Labute's the shape of things and there was this kid who was a high school student who thought he was the greatest thing because he was taking college classes. He looked exactly like Gilbert, but he oh, man, but he got his help. play in the student showcase um, because he wrote like a Eugene Ionesco type of play, and he thought he was so great that during this live production, because it was they they had the play set in an art gallery the the campus had like an art gallery area so mm-hmm. they made it look like a museum but the the play was going on so there was a scene where they set up cookies and like refreshments and he stands up from his seat and just walks in the middle as the scene's going on and starts eating the cookies while they're doing this horrible scene about how much they hate each other this guy's just going oh and like did they did they like stop and look at him (laughs) no you could tell like they're like but how could you do this to (laughs) you couldn't see but i was like turning behind me like looking around (laughs) yeah this so the actress is like crying her her eyes out and she's like like i'm so so i'm so i'm so i'm so so can 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 someone get him out of here (laughs) And I'm like, why? Why does Gilbert annoy me so much? It's because he looked exactly like this kid. Like, I guess if you're you're born and you have the look that Gilbert has in real life, you automatically become Gilbert. It's like it's like the Candyman. Yeah, uh, yeah. I so there there are very few reasons why this reminds me of this particular instance in my life, but. I'm brought right there to the same emotion of like bewilderment over someone uh, at, at an old company I used to work with. We had this intern that we all called Chooch <laughs> and uh, Chooch was basically the most irritating person imaginable. He was obsessed with Apple products uh, to a degree that was unhealthy. Um, and I say that as a, as a, as an Apple user, an avid Apple user. And he was obsessed with like, like coding and like just other like nerdy things like that, but whatever. He liked to practice Krav Maga in the subway <laughs> while waiting for his train. Oh so man! This scrawny kid who was like probably six feet tall, maybe weighed a hundred pounds. If, uh, doing, if he was wearing doing a heavy Israeli coat. martial arts in yeah at, at Arlington Station, waiting for the Green Line. Oh my god. We used god. to go to Panera for lunch all the time too, right? And another thing that just got me with this kid was he'd follow us over there and I'm like I'm not like a cruel person I would like to believe. Like if someone wants to come with us for lunch, like you can come with us for lunch, like that's fine. But it always like really annoyed me to no length. When we walked back there from there to back to the office to have our lunch, he would always take his bread out of the bag that they give you if you get like a sandwich or soup, and he would just eat it like a fucking savage on the wall. You know what I thought you were gonna say? I thought you were gonna say that he left breadcrumbs behind him, like he's Hansel and Gretel. (laughs) There he is, he's just like, Huh, what are you doing, Chooch? Oh, 
in case I lose my way. Flick, 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 <laughs> flick, flick, flick. Yeah, he, he's leaving him for the woman that used to hang out at the corner of Berkeley and uh, Boylston, sitting in her chair listening to sermons on the radio, and uh, would call everyone whores when they walked by. Everyone? Men, too? Yes. Yep. Well, at, at least she was an uh, equal opportunist. Yeah, the radio she had was playing a song one time. So as my friend was walking by, he started clapping along to the song. And her response was so priceless. It was just, kill yourself, bitch! (laughs) That's what she said to him? (laughs) And my friend's like probably 6'3", like big ass dude covered in tattoos, like, like from a hardcore band past like of that ilk. And she just like, kill yourself, bitch! It was so good. Gilberts, they walk amongst us. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I love how Gilbert is like, well, I knew this would happen to my father because he's a sextagenarian. And they're like, we can't print that because it has sex in it. It's like, just say he's 60 years old. Oh, that's what that means? So everyone, including the reporters, are dumb in this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel well, I feel like at this time period, it was... An acceptable career path to start as a newsie and then work your way up to be the editor of the paper. So I, I don't think that there's probably a lot of formal education along the way. That's like a, that's like saying that back then at a car dealership, if you start mopping the floors one day, you could be selling the cars. Well, yeah, no, I think that that's generally how it went. I think at that point in time, it was literally like Sims career paths. Like, that's how things worked. Uh- so so basically, if you start as a as a parking enforcer, one day you two could be the chief of police like Gil was. Yes, absolutely. Gil was the worst detective and chief of police there ever was. And well, he was a lieutenant, right? Lieutenant, whatever. But he he looked at he so he looked basically if Jim Varney and Josh Brolin had a baby. So handsome, in other words. Yes. <laughs> we all know that he likes to do it. <laughs> He's a s- That's one thing I know about Lieutenant John Guild. He likes to fuck. <laughs> He's a stud no, with a capital great. S. <laughs> he was great because he always looked confused. Like, whenever anything was happening, he looked like he was the last one on the scene to, like, understand what was happening around him. Nick, can we wrap this up? I need to get to the burlesque house and then to the bordello. (laughs) Because I have to arrest them. Get back back to the old lady before she hits me with the rolling pin. Oh, it's Tuesday. It's frying pan night. (laughs) I just imagine him going home and all of his children are all the little rascals. (laughs) <laughs> i i don't like that because it implies that alfalfa and a uh, little darla are related <laughs> okay so i've i've made a decision for you and i'm doing this on air and you have to say yes i'm having you do the little rascals movie because i auditioned for the movie when i was a kid oh that's incredible i i so I'm torn because obviously I want to hear that story and uh, and talk about it. But on the other hand, I'm fairly certain that as as an adult male, if uh, you watch that movie, you get put on a list. <laughs> well, I also auditioned for the Leave it to Beaver movie, too. I mean, that's that's a little closer. 
how were you auditioning for these? Were you like going down to New York? No, uh, eh, I'll, I'll tell it on the podcast and then I'll have someone else do it. Damn it. Thanks for ruining this, Chris. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was, I was just going to ask like where where they took place. That's okay. all. I don't need the full story. Well, okay. For for the Little Rascals one. So the Little Rascals one was a video audition. Oh, okay. Um, basically, there was a casting call and I was doing children's theater at the time. And they're like, oh, they're, they're accepting auditions. So I read for... These were the days where basically they mailed you the sides. So we got the sides, mm-hmm. and I was auditioning for Spanky. <laughs> oh, excellent. I, I was going to say um, or ask who you were auditioning for, and I was secretly hoping it was Spanky. I auditioned for Spanky. <laughs> Froggy. <laughs> I auditioned for Froggy, and E.G. Daly replaced my voice. Um, <laughs> no, I auditioned for Spanky. I think I read for Butch also. Um, Butch was the one in the all leather. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the great Penelope Spheres directed the movie. But yeah, so I, to prepare, I tried to like go, go method. So I had my parents take all my money and then I became an orphan. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I lived as a yeg for a couple of years, going from boxcar to boxcar. And I talked <laughs> yeah because that's what they talked like and then uh yeah for leave it to beaver that was in um uh the comedy connection in faneuil hall okay so i they basically had us on the main stage and the guy who auditioned for eddie haskell i am convinced to this day that it was john mulaney <laughs> because he looked and sounded exactly like John Mulaney and he even talked like this it is very nice to see you Mrs. Seaver Cleaver now listen Beaver you don't tell her what we were up to (laughs) alright I'm listening Wally I remember an old episode of Leave it to Beaver where uh, it had a little um, good old fashioned light hearted xenophobia in it (laughs) Where the parents got uh, like basically TV dinners of uh, that were Chinese food, and they asked the kids if they were interested in it. And Wally's response was just a terrified look on his face, with him like shaking his head. Jesus. I yeah, I basically remember that in Eddie Haskell from the from the show. Uh, Eddie Haskell only because there's a kid in the grade above me in middle school who looked like him. So me and my friend used to just, <laughs> whenever he walked by us in the cafeteria, would just be like, Eddie Haskell. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at first he was weirded out by it. And then eventually he kind of embraced it. And he was like, oh, hey, guys. <laughs> whenever we did it. Hey, can I hit on your mom and be a dick to your brother? <laughs> <laughs> That's about the size of it. Yeah. So back to the thin man. I, I love... <laughs> I I love how Nick and Nora are throwing this Christmas Eve party and like they invite people that Nick had arrested. I really really loved that. Uh who was your favorite guest cuz I had a favorite guest. Uh Oh, it was either the guy who had no teeth or the I got to call Ma. 
<laughs> that that would be it for yeah. me. <laughs> Hi, mom. The guy that was like just blackout drunk and had to call his mother <laughs> to wish her a Merry Christmas. Honestly, he he reminded me of Fred Willard from A Mighty Wind because of the way you. <laughs> hey, what happened? Yeah, I I mean maybe if he was tanked, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ma, I have a real weird wagon. <laughs> I so I was creeped out by the guy who kept hitting on Dorothy Wynette and the one who she showed up to at the dinner party Agatha Christie style reveal. That guy creeped me out to no end. What was his name? W- was it Gilner or I have n- younger? I don't remember. I just remember Tommy punching him out. Thomas punching him out. <laughs> no, 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 Tommy. That's what he likes to be called. I am Tommy. I'm Dismany. I'm gonna make a great husband. I got a job at my paper route. Oh man! Um, so I, I just got to go through a couple of the other quotes that uh, that I took down here. Sure. Uh, the one that I think made me laugh the hardest was. <laughs> Ever heard of the Sullivan Act? Oh no! We're, oh, don't worry. We're, we're married. married. <laughs> that got a genuinely uh, hearty belly laugh. I mean, I know me. what the Sullivan Act is, but I didn't get that joke at first. Well, just the idea that it was like, you know, something about people that weren't married doing, you know, things that they shouldn't be. <laughs> just well, it, I, That got a really hearty chuckle out of me. The Sullivan Act means you, it, it was a law that required you to have a permit to carry a gun. Yes. No, I mean, uh, in the, based on the context, I got that because he was asking him or uh, he was referencing it after they found the gun. in his No, I know. Room. But I always thought that like she was so loaded that she thought that he was that the, the lieutenant was talking about his penis. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> get out of my drawers. <laughs> I, I. Yeah, that and the other one, the other one that got me was uh, grandma. What large glasses do you have? Oh, Grandma, what large glasses you have. I also love when when Nick, um, I don't know if you notice this, but anytime someone pulls a gun, his first mm-hmm. instinct is he like has PTSD. So it's assumed that like in his older days, he's been shot like so many times or shot at. So like with, with yeah. Dorothy, when she pulls the gun out, his first instinct is to grab it and like get out of the way. Um because also, he doesn't know if she knows how to use it, so she would probably shoot him. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, fair enough. I also love we find out that that gun was so, like, rusty from a pawn shop that they had to wield it open with, like, a hammer and chisel. <laughs> <laughs> Just the idea of these cops in, like, constable hats, like, with a hammer and chisel trying to get this... this <laughs> As, like, the barrel is facing them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! It it just reminds me based on the based on your average police intelligence in this film. I mean, that's that's probably exactly how it went down off camera. I all I all I think of is Matt Berry going, "Hey, look, a gun!" And he's like, "I wonder if it's loaded." And he opens his mouth and starts firing. So good. Yeah. I just so in this movie, I I love how. He wants to keep his wife safe, and it's clear that he wants to keep her safe because of the incident that happened with the guy who looked like Ernie Sabala. Yep. Yeah, did you think that that guy looked like Ernie Sabala, too? 
No, but when you mentioned it, I knew exactly who you yeah. meant. So he sends her to Grant's tomb, and I loved the reaction when, when he's like, so how did you like Grant's tomb? And she goes, I'm getting you a matching one. <laughs> so the whole crux of this, the whole like reveal is, I actually, if we backtrack, not even the reveal, if we go to the whole, everyone's like, Nick Charles has to be the one to solve this. Nick Charles has to be the one that solved it. I just picture Nick in his mind, he's like, I've already solved it. I already know who did it, and I'm, I want no part of it. All I want is to get drunk and fuck the missus. <laughs> what if they redid this in the 80s? Like, I love the idea of them doing the Kevin Klein one, but what if they did it with SNL people and they just did uh, Jan Hooks and Phil Hartman? <laughs> 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 or if they couldn't get them, get John Lovitz and uh, Nora Dunn. That'd be great. Um, yeah, we, we just watched Greedy the other night, and God, Phil Hartman was such a gem. Yeah, I loved Phil Hartman so much. But just imagine, like, Phil Hartman as Nick Charles. I can't, because it would have... Like, this obviously original film is a comedy through and through, but I can't imagine making it, like, a farce, <laughs> which is what it would become once you got uh, Hartman in there. <laughs> Because he could deliver every line completely straight-faced, and it would still be funny. Right. I mean, that's the same thing with Kevin Kline. I I just, I wish we lived in the alternate universe where instead of them making, um, uh, Kevin Kline did Soap Dish, and I think he did The January Man instead. Instead of him doing that, he did The Thin Man, and I just, I know that movie would have tanked, but I still wonder what it would have been like. It probably would have tanked, but it also probably would have been pretty good. It's it's the sort of thing that I think it, it had all the potential to be really good, and it also had all of the potential to not be the right movie at the right time. In the late 80s, early 90s, no one was looking for like a dialogue-heavy, like rapid-fire comedy. Yeah, do you know what it would have been like? It would have been like Joe versus the Volcano, which is what john patrick shanley wrote instead and directed for Ugh. his debut well that's something <laughs> well that's what he did instead he did joe versus volcano instead of doing the thin man and he really should have done the thin man with kevin klein yeah i think it would have been better for everyone involved <laughs> because phoebe cates wouldn't have made drop dead fred and he wouldn't have made soap dish kevin klein yeah, Drop Dead Fred, I know a lot of people uh, are really into that, but I think it's one of those Space Jam things where the nostalgia is is really carrying that love more than an actual quality product. Like it, It's watchable, don't get me wrong, but uh, I would rather have a good Thin Man remake than Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, I, I got a $2 digital copy of it because I was going to do it on the podcast, and I never did it. So now I have this. Well, you've got that digital copy forever. Yes. Now I, or at least until whatever service goes out of business. Well, well that's the funny thing. It's hooked up to uh, all of mine through movies anywhere. Um, but yeah. So I, I still think with with William Powell and Myrna Loy, like these are two people who. I wonder if they were like this when the cameras weren't rolling. They're like, oh, Myrna. William, 
We're not rolling. You don't have to be in character. Sugar, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Uh, the uh, Just the interaction between the two is, is very... I feel like just the chemistry was so so strong that they they must have been like this and probably had uh had some little liaisons offset because they were like the chemistry was too good for them. It, it was at the point where I started looking at their like individual Wikipedia pages to see like if they actually were together during the process of uh, making this film. Yeah, and no one really knows. They always said no, but you know that they were just Hey, where's William? Uh, he's in Myrna's dressing room. Hey, where's Myrna? She's in William's dressing room. <laughs> There's a sock on the door. Hmm. His feet are going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, one thing I kept thinking about whenever I thought of uh, Myrna Loy was what it, what the a dish? Billy Corgan solo album uh, track called Mina Loy. And I wonder if it's related. God, I hope not. She doesn't need that shit. No, but that's that's Corgan though, like taking like old weird pop culture references like that and just throwing it out there. It's a good song anyway. Like could be worse. <laughs> Every time so so Haley and I love watching this movie. We've watched it probably five times within the last two years. Like this is one of those movies that I'll always put on because it's just so much fun. Mm -hmm. And even though I know who mm -hmm. who the killer is and I, I know what's gonna happen, just watching their banter is so brilliant. And I love watching Haley watch this movie because she'll be like, Oh, I want that dress. I want her dress at the at the Christmas Eve party, the striped one. That evening gown. I I I didn't notice. <laughs> well, my wife loves that dress, so I did because she always points it out. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's a good reason to, to notice the dress. Yeah, like... Or as some might say, to say yes to the dress. <laughs> well, Haley and I always contemplated going as Nick and Nora Charles for Hall Halloween and having Stella McCoy be Asta at different points because <laughs> halfway through the series, they changed Asta's. <laughs> Oh, no, no, that's not a good <laughs> no, sign. No, it's not. But how 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 Milo and Otis did they go with it? I don't know, but like the original series started in thirty four, and they ended. I think the last one was in like forty. I mean, that's that's within the normal lifespan of a dog. What did they do to that dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, it had its weekly martini bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I heard today uh, about the oldest cat uh, on record, and it's horrifying. It's basically some dude. I want to say he was from New Jersey. I could be mistaken about the location. Location's not important. Is it He's Bon Jovi somewhere? Yes, it's Bon Jovi. No, it was, uh, it was just a random plumber who really liked cats, and he wanted to find a way to have cats live the longest. So he started experimenting. Oh no! And <laughs> I don't like he, this. Well, he was basically experimenting with diet. So what he was doing was he was feeding them standard cat food, but in addition to that, he was feeding them a breakfast <laughs> of eggs, I believe turkey sausage, and there was something else in there food-wise, but also once per day, he would give them an eyedrop full of uh, wine. What? The oldest cat, his oldest cat that he had, that he claimed had that diet, lived to be 38. Oh, no. That is my current age, and a cat <laughs> lives that long. <laughs> I want to die. 
I should not be alive, master. <laughs> Kill me 15 years ago. <laughs> I just picture it being like Tom Waits as Renfield from Dracula, like, Master! <laughs> <laughs> master! But yeah, um, but we didn't do that Halloween costume because we didn't think anyone would know who we are. Yeah, I mean, that's a costume that's that's tough to pull off. Like, I I really like that kind of costume for that purpose of, like, making jokes. Like, whenever I would post, like, bullshit questions on Yahoo Answers uh, <laughs> around Halloween, I would always say that I was planning <laughs> as going as Leonardo DiCaprio from Inception. Because, like, how would anyone ever identify that? So I went I went to a costume party in college, and what I did is I wore a white t-shirt and a blazer and had sunglasses, and then when someone asked who I was, I would be like, I'm Andrew McCarthy from Less Than Zero. I'm James Spader from Pretty in Pink. I, I would just say a different <laughs> 80s actor who wore that. That's very good. And then I, I, uh, I, cha- I got, like, wine or something on my shirt and it was a white shirt and I put a black shirt on they're like who are you and I'm like I'm Billy Joel <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's nothing better than uh, than a shit costume that people have to ask you questions about <laughs> yeah but also this is just oh an who ex- are you oh I'm I'm Ted Danson from that one scene in three men and a little lady <laughs> <laughs> oh you're the old vicar <laughs> <laughs> that's what you were referring to right are you referring to the Dracula costume? I am referring to absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. I thought you were referring to I, I just to pulled when... a movie out of my ass. <laughs> There's literally a scene in Three Men and a Little Lady where he puts old man makeup on, like prosthetics, and poses as the vicar so so that Nancy oh, man, Travis can't get married. That would actually be an awesome costume. <laughs> So you go as Ted Danson yeah. as the vicar from Three Men. Okay, so this party, yeah, Haley and I will be Nick and Nora Charles, and you can be Ted Danson from Three Men and a Little Lady as the vicar, and, as the vicar, and no one will know who we are. Now, actually, um, here's a question for you: mm-hmm. uh, Did you see uh, Barb and Star yet? Mm. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Oh. I thought you said Barbin Star. <laughs> like like oh. where's Barbin Star? <laughs> uh no, I haven't seen Barbin Star. But I but someone oh, okay. uh someone in one of the newspapers or uh, online publications spoiled who the villain is. Oh, okay. Well, that's who I want to go as for Halloween this year. <laughs> There's a specific scene when she's on the beach and it looks incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to see that movie. Everyone keeps saying it just looks so weird. It, it's very weird. It's it's way stranger than you'd think it is going into it. Well, anyways, back to the thin man. So I I love in the actual murder of it all. Like uh, Mimi literally robs the dead blind. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Mimi is not a good person. So and she's married to an asshole yeah. too. Well, not really, because he's a polygamist. Right, sorry. Yeah, I, I honestly wanted uh, Cesar Romero to show up and his other wife be Julie Newmar. <laughs> <laughs> or anyone from Batman. <laughs> it's Jill St. John. Or just get Eartha Kitt in there. <laughs> Batman, 
Um, so did <laughs> Eartha Kit, but she's playing her character from Ernest Scared <laughs> Stupid, or her character from Holes. <laughs> I I never saw Holes. That was a little after my time. She she basically looks like Phyllis Diller in that movie. Interesting. So the I don't I didn't know if you had this problem, but the first time I saw it, and then I know, um, whenever we watch it, I still have trouble differentiating. Mimi from Julia, because they look exactly the same. I mean, that's a problem with characters in general back then. Actors looked very much alike. Yeah, I also love it. Like, in fact, when when Nick first came on, I wasn't sure who it was. I was like, have I met this person before? Because, like, it, it felt like it was someone that was already in there. And then I didn't realize that, oh, no, no, this guy is going to be the focus of the movie from here on out. Mm. Yeah, I... Uh... I um, I just literally found a tick on me. I've been finding them constantly. This year sucks. Yep. Um. Remember, people, check yourself for ticks and don't get Lyme disease. And I've I've literally killed this tick like four times, and it's not dying. Uh, I always give them a burial at sea. Well, I'm kind of recording right now, Chris, so I'm using my microphone to kill it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good solution to the problem. Yeah. Well, the microphone stand. Yeah. I literally just killed a the tick on air. Um, so, yeah, where was I? Julia looks exactly like uh, uh, Mimi, and you had no idea that William Powell was Nick when, when he... And that I hadn't yet seen him in the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because everyone looks the same back then. The only way that I was really able to tell William Powell apart at first was the fact that, like, this is going to sound like a really weird thing to say, but he, he's he got smiling eyes. He does. He, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. He does. It's still alive. This tick is still alive. It won't die. Sorry. Invited to be on the show. No, I'm crushing it. Yeah, you you can't really crush them that easily. The the tick comic book was the tick for a reason. They're very strong. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's just looking back and forth between the screen and the tick. And uh whatever he looks up it's it's with resignation. <laughs> I don't know if you just heard me yell to Haley, "Check yourself for ticks." <laughs> <laughs> I heard some commotion, but uh no no detail. Yeah. Um so any hoozle yeah, like, everyone kind of looks like each other. If you put a mustache on Lieutenant Gilson or whatever his name is, he would look like Cesar Romero. <laughs> like, Yeah, and honestly, um, if you put makeup on Chris Jorgensen, he would look like the Joker. <laughs> oh, you cheeky monkey. <laughs> you cheeky monkey. Um, so, yeah. The the whole like um we didn't even talk about that little rotten nunheim. <laughs> Is that what the guy kept saying? That little rotten nunheim. <laughs> um the guy who was basically just spying on everyone and blackmailing everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So that dude <laughs> um uh he literally 
gets murdered because he tries to extort money out of someone. You also find out that he was jealous that the Ernie Sabala, Danny DeVito guy was having an affair with Julia Wolf, and he wasn't. <laughs> Damn it, I should have been having an affair with her. Do you want to be with Mimi? Ah, oh, fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then when he gets murdered, he, like, gets shot, like, seven times. Oh, yeah, it's like the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Like, he, he gets taken out. He is just... Like a piece of Swiss cheese by the end of it. Yeah, I was thinking of Sonny Corleone and The Godfather. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At the uh, at the toll at booth. At the toll booth, yeah. It oh, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> and I I love how um, leading up to that, when Nick and the chief of police are questioning him, uh, Nick's like he's gonna flee. Like, like the the lieutenant is like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm calling the police to trail him." He's like, "Wait a minute, worst 1930s style detective ever." Although I did like the police uh, for the very end of this. So as you alluded to, they had like the big Agatha Christie style uh, reveal where he arranges a dinner and invites all of the suspects to dine with he and his wife. Except it wasn't really an invitation so much as anyone that wouldn't come willingly, the police would knock down their door and uh, just drag them kicking and screaming to this dinner. Yeah, and the the police were supposed to be in disguise as servers, but everyone knew that they were cops. So why didn't they just have them as police officers? That was a very weird detail that they intentionally added because, yeah, like the um, the caterer was concerned like, oh, I forget his exact lines, but he showed concern that the cops wouldn't be able to provide the right amount of service. And he's just like, oh, don't worry, they're just here for show. And I love how he's like, uh, uh, one of the officers like, here, have a drink. No, I'm okay. Take a drink. Okay, okay, take a drink. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I can't. I'm recovering out. Just take the goddamn drink. Well, here we go. Bender time it is. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I guess I'll see myself again in 10 years. <laughs> I also like to do the backstory that Nunheim's girlfriend who left him right before he was murdered is going to end up with with Danny DeVito guy. That's a pretty good fiction. Yeah, because I also love how he's like, it's not me. Why is everyone making me the, the stool pigeon? Uh, not the stool pigeon, the, the scapegoat. And then like when he figures out what's going on, it they they do this really grotesque, like David Lynch style, oh, hi, um, uh, <laughs> eraser head close up of his face going, this is a great night. And his like eyes are huge. <laughs> So I, I love how when when Nick is going through who did it, like he keeps saying people's names and implying like they they're the ones that did it and they're like, huh? What? Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> it, it's just really good detecting. And I love how Nick and Nora Nora taps him on the shoulder to whisper, but but like She's clearly like talking so loud that everyone can hear, and she's like, "Will you just get to it? Because I can't stand these people." And it's like, you know, we can hear you, right? 
So yeah. So it's revealed that it's Macaulay the lawyer and what's her name? Dorothy realizes, hey, I don't have to be, you know, a tart. Yeah, and um, I mean, she was uh, she was initially like almost borderline suicidal too. So I, I think that this was a, a good realization for her, where she realized, you know, that her father wasn't uh, some sort of insane person. Yeah, because like, then she didn't have to rely on Gilbert's math uh, to determine whether or not she could have children. Not just that; it was also the fact that Gilbert Gilbert flat out admits that he has an Oedipus complex. Yeah, that was uh, that was really really odd. <laughs> I wonder if back then the the connotation wasn't quite. No, I think no, it. No, I think it was. It's got to be yeah. sexual. There's no way that it's not. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, how many bagels? <laughs> Hashtag that's so Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> that's so Gilbert. It's just him as Raven Simone. <laughs> he can see the future. Danielle was doing some uh, prep for a world of commotion last night and was watching um, a, a wonderful world of Disney special where the Muppets visit Disney World. Oh, yeah. And Raven and Simone's there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, I recognized her at first, but I was trying to, like, associate a different name because time wise, she seems so much younger to me where, like, her being five there doesn't make sense. Like, I, I, I can't reconcile that. So I was like who the fuck is that? I know that person and I cannot identify that person. And Danielle's like, oh, it's Raven. And I was like, there's no way. Yeah, this was back... Uh, it was 1990. Yeah, so this is when she was on that TV show that we don't talk about anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's just call it the Puddin' Pop Tower. <laughs> nope. What? No, I, th- I think that's okay because we're disrespecting him in the process by reducing his entire body of work to his most uh, laugh at him. Well, then we'll call it also the the new Coke or <laughs> the, Kodak film half hour. Man, or, this guy's a monster. Or the ghost, the ghost dad show. <laughs> the Leonard part six show. Yes, <laughs> this is when she was little Olivia on Meteor Man. <laughs> I think that Did you read the book? <laughs> no, but I saw the movie. I, 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 I or, yeah, that was the sticker. Have you seen the movie? I told you about yeah, that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Kevin Johnson in fifth grade reading that book and giving a book report on it. <laughs> well, and then the teacher asked him if he saw the movie, and he's like, "Yeah, after I read the book." <laughs> and it's like, I love that this kid found a book in the in the Scholastic Weekly Reader. Uh, for something that like should have no interest to anyone. Not only did he buy it, but he full-on bought into Meteor Man fever that was sweeping the nation, and he went out to the theater and saw it. He must have had to see it within a week. He must have read that book and then went to the movies. The, the book was available well before the movie okay. was. Because that's when I, like, it had the sticker, like, have you seen the movie? It was so confusing to me, and I think that's why it's burned into my mind, because the movie was not out. It was out like months later. Yeah, do you know? Do you know what they did for this classic? They did the the sequel to Good Burger. They did a, a novelization of it, but the sequel never came out. So like, I had the the book for Good Burger and the sequel book. I'm like, when's this movie gonna come out? Because Keenan and Kel were on the cover of it. 
Interesting. So it was in development, I would assume, and a script was written yeah. if they, they got a novelization out of yeah, it. Yeah, Brian Robbins was going to direct it again. Interesting. You know, head of the class star, Brian Robbins. Yeah, I mean, the one and only. That's that's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, how many bagels do you give? Or is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to bagels? No, nah, just that I started getting on the mental train of Howard Hesseman as soon as you mentioned that. And, you know, a wonderful I guy, mean, anything guy. about the thin man. Oh, no, no. Uh, I'm, I've, I've covered all my notes. How many bagels do you give this? Uh, I'm giving this 12 bagels. This was a, a delightful romp. So you're taking and, one out? Uh, I will, I'm taking one out. Yeah. Because it, it's not, I can't say it's the best thing I've ever seen. But it was a hell of a lot of fun, and uh, I'm definitely going to watch it again soon. I'll show Danielle uh, because she's going to like it too. Yeah, I'll, I'll take one out because it doesn't age well. But this is still one of my favorite movies. It's a lot of fun. They're so good together. Um, like, mm-hmm. and it's just an example. So I could have done this movie two different times. I could have done this for uh, isn't it romantic to show a good relationship? I could have also done it for a Christmas movie because this is technically a Christmas mm-hmm. movie. As much as Die Hard. Yep. Yep. If Die Hard's a... Or actually, I, I, I would say this is more so because... Uh, they this, they this open presents. <laughs> yeah, this feels more Christmassy. Yeah. So, do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, Friday the 13th, part three. I was randomly thinking of it earlier today. And, I mean, uh, anything you're doing... <laughs> Well, a friend, a friend of mine is moving and was showing me a um, uh, the Zillow page for the place he's looking at it, and it had a, like a creepy old barn, and it made me think of the barn from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Is so this our mutual friend? One, uh, yes, it's a mutual friend. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen that one, uh, give it a chance. It's the one where uh, Jason finally adopts the hockey mask. So uh, it's it's iconic, and uh, it features the character Shelley, who's just a he's a he's a delight of comic relief. Is that Corey Feldman's character? No, he plays young Tommy Jarvis in part okay. four. And then Tommy Jarvis is played by two completely different looking <laughs> actors in part five and part six. So I have Hell is a Musical. Um, I think our newest episode should be out by now. Um, it's once. We did once for our anniversary. Um, yeah, and check us out on Instagram and Twitter uh, for... Writer's Bagel Basket, we have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can always e- email us at uh, Basket at gmail.com. Chris, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for introducing me to this. This is, uh, this is a genuinely good movie, and I think we've done enough now where any bad karma that we've bestowed upon each other from from the heaps and heaps of shit that, uh, that we dealt with for a while uh, is, is abssolved. So, uh, you know, if, if you ever ask me on again, uh, feel free to throw if some shit If I ever ask me. you on again, you're one of our most frequent guests. <laughs> well, I'm not being presumptuous, and that, that would be impolite. But yes, uh, in the future, feel free to throw some shit at me like you're a goddamn monkey. Well, I already have two movies that I want you to do for September and for November. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and well, I'll pitch them to you after we wrap. <laughs> but yeah. Alrighty. So until next time, I'm Scott Curlin. Bye.